On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where his nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we ask for a blessing on the reading of these words. Thank you, Peter. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that we will never cease to be amazed by the fact that you raised Jesus back to life. Help us not to take it for granted, but help us to allow it to transform and to change our lives. We pray this morning as we look once again into your word, that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you, and that you would continue that process into making us like your son Jesus. In his name we pray together. Amen. Over these last few Sunday mornings we've been uh, looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And uh, we're continuing to do that this morning. I came across this story that I thought you'd like of a lady who, uh, one Saturday afternoon, uh, was doing a baking when there was a knock at the door. She went to find a man dressed in shabby clothes, looking for some odd jobs. He asked her if there was anything that he could do. She said, can you paint? He said, yes, I'm, I'm quite a good painter. Well, she said, there's two gallons of green paint, and there's a brush, and there's a, a porch out in the back that needs painting. Please do a good job, and I'll pay you what it's worth. He said, that's great, it'll be done quickly. 
She went back to her baking and didn't think anything more of it. Until there was a knock at the door. She went and it was obviously uh, the man who'd been painting. He'd got it all over his clothes. And she asked him, did he finish the job? He said, yes. She said, did he do a good job? He said, yes. But lady, there's one thing I think I should point out to you. That's not a Porsche back there. It's a Mercedes. (laughs) You see, the problem was the lady wasn't there when the man was doing the painting. If she had, things might have turned out slightly different. And we're looking at a story this morning of, about somebody that wasn't there. That somebody that missed out. John gives us quite a bit of information about, about Thomas. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. Tells us that Thomas uh, was called Didymus, which means twin. Uh, he was one of the twelve disciples, that close group of, uh, of Nick group that was with Jesus and followed Jesus. And uh, he tells us that when Jesus appeared, Thomas wasn't with them. Maybe John is uh, inferring that he should have been, as he was one of the twelve. Uh, we don't know, but he gives us that information about Thomas. And uh, as we look at Thomas... Uh, One of the first things that I want to talk about is doubt, the skeleton in the closet of faith. Philip uh, Yancey, in his book, uh, Finding God in Unexpected Places, says, Doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith. And I know of no better way to treat a skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. Not something to fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. If you know anything about Philip Yancey, if you've met any any of his books, he'll know by his own admission that he is somewhat of a sceptical. He tells a story about himself to illustrate this. He says, I was once asked to sign Christianity Today's magazine Statement of Faith without doubt or equivocation. I had to tell them that I can barely sign my own name without doubt. You've grown up in church like uh, like I did, you may have uh, felt uh, the pressure to ignore such doubts. You may have been brought up to believe uh, that doubt was a bad thing. Well, this morning I want us to, to have a look at this character, Thomas. And to think about doubt, the skeleton in the closet of faith. Doubt, of course, doesn't mean that you've lost your faith. It simply means that you're trying to figure out your faith. So instead of being afraid of doubt, why don't we allow God to use our doubts as a means of making us stronger in our faith? Why does Thomas refuse to believe? Why does Thomas refuse to believe? No one in their right minds uh, would doubt that anyone that was executed by the Romans was dead. There was no question about that. Romans uh, knew what they were doing when it came to killing people. Uh, They were expertise in it. And uh, Thomas was probably the sort of character that knew how the world worked. Uh, When someone was dead, in his experience, they remained dead. That, there was no doubt about it. So... Why didn't he believe? Well, in some senses it seems obvious to me. Why would you believe? 
the problem is, is that whenever we come to scripture, uh, we come and we, of course we know the story. Uh, we know that Jesus lived, we know that Jesus died, and we know that Jesus rose again. Uh, we've been told that, we've, been, we've, we've read it many times, we've been looking over the last few weeks about the different encounters that people had with Jesus. But this morning I'm just asking you to put yourself into the mindset and place of Thomas. He didn't know. Uh, he had heard rumours, he'd heard stories. Uh, the disciples themselves were saying, you know, uh, we've seen him, Jesus came and stood amongst us. But Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, you know, somebody goes to a meeting and they say, oh, it's fantastic, you should have been there. Uh, Wonderful things happened, God was there, this happened and that happened. And uh, maybe you, like Thomas, feel a little bit sceptical, because you weren't there. You didn't see these things, you're just hearing somebody else's interpretation of the events. And maybe you too have at times doubted what you've heard. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas wasn't going to believe what he heard. He wanted to experience for himself what the others were claiming to have experienced. And again, I don't blame Thomas for this. I don't blame Thomas for this. I've been in the position of doubting Thomas. Uh, Before I came to faith, I was like Thomas. I said to Christians that said that they had met the risen Jesus, I said, well, great, that's fantastic. Uh, Introduce me to him, and I too will believe. If I see and hear what you're claiming to see and hear, I too will believe. But not until I see and hear what you have experienced. I know how Thomas feels, because I've been there. And some of you have been there. Some of you might be there now. Some of you might be surrounded by believers, but you just can't come to that place because it hasn't been your experience. And what I'm saying is, you know, let's not be frightened of the the skeleton that is doubt that is in the closet of faith. Let's bring it out into the open. Let's name it for what it is. And let's not pretend that you and I, uh, even after 20, 30, 40, 50 years, still don't have doubts. Let's not pretend. Let's bring this skeleton out and let's have a look at it. John Ortberg, in his book Faith and Doubt, says, What do I want to believe? It's one of the most important questions we can ask when it comes to the search for faith. It's crucial to be honest about this because we have a tendency to find ourselves believing what we want to believe. We have a tendency to find ourselves believing what we want to believe. Did Thomas want to believe? Well, yes, he did want to believe. But he wanted to see for himself. He wanted to put his fingers in Jesus' hands and see the marks for himself. He wanted to believe, uh, but he just couldn't bring himself to believe without seeing. Of course, uh, Thomas wasn't the only one to have doubted. You see, sometimes, you know, Thomas has been given this name, Doubting Thomas, as if he was the only one of the disciples that doubted. And of course, um, as we've read the resurrection accounts and looked at the different uh, appearances of Jesus, um, he wasn't alone in his doubting, but they did not believe the women when they came back from the tomb. The disciples, all of them, said, it's utter nonsense that you've seen Jesus and he's alive. You're talking nonsense, women. And of course, we know. That women don't talk nonsense. 
But they didn't. They didn't. They didn't believe. And uh, again, who can blame them? Why would you believe it? Why would you believe it? Nobody had ever come back from the dead before. Well, except Lazarus. But uh, besides him, in their experience, no one had ever come back from the dead. It didn't happen. Dead was dead and that was it. And so, let's not be too hard on Thomas for doubting. But let's also not be too hard on those people uh, within our congregation who have doubts. Because one of the things I want to say this morning is, doubt isn't a bad thing. In fact, doubt is the skeleton in the closet of faith and it's in all our closets. We all have those moments where we doubt. We all have those moments where we say to ourselves, am I kidding myself? Is it real? Uh, Am I making this up? We've all been there. So the skeleton in the closet of faith. And then I want to talk about room for doubt. Because what I love about this story is not only does Thomas doubt, but Jesus enters the room of doubt. Isn't it interesting in all the resurrection appearances that Jesus meets people where they are? You know, we looked at the two road, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were walking to Emmaus, disappointed, given up, going back home, and Jesus meets them there in their disappointment. Uh, last week we were looking, you know, at Peter. Peter, of course, had denied Jesus. Uh, he was he was wondering whether he could be forgiven or not. And Jesus meets him in that awkward place where he didn't know how quite how it was going to go. Jesus meets people exactly where they are. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all sorted. You don't even have to believe uh, that Jesus rose from the grave for Jesus to come and meet you. He meets us exactly where we are and he can meet you wherever you are this morning on that journey of faith. There is room for doubt and Jesus enters the room for doubt. The story told about a lady who was watching a butterfly as it struggled to work its way out of the cocoon. After a while, the lady began to feel sorry for the butterfly. So she got out a tiny little knife and carefully cut the cocoon, just enough to help the butterfly work its way out. And sure enough, the beautiful butterfly got out and stretched its wings and began to flutter for just a second. And then it fell to the ground and died. The lady discovered too late that the struggle to get out of the cocoon is what makes the butterfly's wings strong enough to fly. So the struggle the butterfly has, without the struggle, the butterfly has no life. I don't know about you, but I've got that feeling that uh, sometimes God uses our doubts and struggles uh, to give us life. He forces us to struggle with the realities of our faith, not because he wants us to fail, but because he wants us to spread our wings and fly. There's room for doubt. There's room for doubt. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. I don't know about you, but I love the little details that people put in the Gospels. You know, why does John tell us, you know, that it was a week later? What had been happening that week? You know, where had Thomas been? Where has Jesus been? We don't know. But what we do know, it was a week later. And the person who had doubted what the disciples had told them was putting himself in a place where just maybe... Um, he would find faith. This time, uh, Thomas was with them. We don't know why he wasn't with them last time. The Bible is silent on that, but what we do know 
is that he was with them this time, even though he didn't believe what they said, even though he doubted their experience. He was going to be there with them just in case. Have you ever done that? You know, <laughs> I don't believe it, but maybe I'll come along just in case, you know, there's something in this. Uh, you've heard wonderful things and there's meetings over there. Well, I don't believe any of that, but I'll, I'll go along just in case, you know. Uh, you just never know, do you? And uh, Thomas is there a week later after his disciples. We don't know what happened during that week. We're not told, but we, we read that Thomas was at this time, he was there. Again, John Otterberg in his book, Faith and Doubt, says this, As long as you have faith, you will always have doubts. As long as doubts exist, as long as a person is still uncertain, that is the only time faith is needed. When doubts are gone... The person doesn't need faith anymore because knowledge has come. Interesting way to think about it. That we only need faith uh, when we're not certain about things because we have to put our faith in the things that we can't see, the things that aren't solid. You know, there's no doubt about the fact that I'm stood here this morning. You don't need any faith to believe that I'm stood here. You can see me. You can hear me. You can experience me. You can touch me. You can shake my hand. I'm really here. It doesn't take any faith to believe that, does it? Um, but Christianity, uh, believing in Jesus, you know, we are in that same situation that Thomas was. We cannot see Jesus. We desperately want to believe, but we cannot see him. That's where faith comes in. That's where faith is needed. Uh, when knowledge comes, we don't need the faith. There's room for doubt. There's room for doubt. And we know that, not just from this story, but from other stories uh, in the gospel, um, the story of the uh, of the man that brings his uh, demon possessed child to Jesus, you know, and uh, he says, "I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief." And, you know, he's believing, but he also has that unbelief at the same time. And this is where we live a lot of the time, don't we? We have to live in that room uh, with doubt and faith that are struggling together. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And, uh, you know, it's a journey that we have to take. And it's not an easy journey. But I don't know about you, but when I'm going on holiday, I love the journey part of it. I like the journey. And sometimes one of the things that we're doing in church is we rob people of the excitement of the journey to faith because we want them to come to where we are uh, without experience how we got there. And of course, how we got there is the exciting bit, very often, of the journey. And we hear testimonies, and it's great. But you have to do the journey. You can't get from A to B without doing the journey. And that journey from not believing to believing is a journey that we have to take. And we shouldn't rob people of the excitement of that journey. We should allow people to, with their questions, and with their doubts, and with their struggles, to make that journey from unbelieving to believing. Help me overcome my disbelief. I believe. I believe. Help me overcome my disbelief. So room for doubts. There is room for doubts. And uh, Jesus meets Thomas in that room where he doubts. But of course, he doesn't want Thomas to stay in that situation of doubting. He wants to help Thomas with his beliefs. And he meets Thomas and he says to Thomas, he doesn't come to Thomas and say, you know, I'm really disappointed in you, Thomas. You know, I thought I could rely on you and uh, you didn't believe. The others told you. He doesn't say that, does he? Uh, He doesn't tell Thomas off. 
He actually, in his grace, comes to Thomas and says, put your fingers here. That's what Thomas wanted. And, uh, and Jesus meets him and he gives him exactly what he wants. Uh, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Uh, isn't Jesus great? Not only does he meet us where we are, he kind of goes with us in our lack of faith and believing and uncertainty. Uh, that doesn't worry Jesus as much as it worries some people in churches. Uh, Jesus can live and Jesus can cope with the fact of who we are. He understands that we have disappointments. He understands that we have doubts. And he meets us in that place. And that's where he can meet you this morning. Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Room for doubt. Do you allow room for doubt in your faith or have you got it all sussed? Have you got all the answers? You know, one of the most frustrating Bible studies you can be in or, or group meetings you can be in is in a meeting where somebody's got all the answers and someone asks the question and somebody comes straight in with the answer and that's it, there's nothing to discuss. Uh, I don't know about you, but that sounds boring to me. Uh, some of the most, the best house groups I've been in is actually with unbelievers uh, who ask really good questions about the faith and uh, challenge what we do believe and make us think about what we believe. Uh, sometimes uh, what happens when we become Christians is we stop thinking. You know, we accept Jesus into our life and we stop thinking and we stop exploring and we miss out because when you come to that position of believing, that's only the start of the journey. There's so much more to learn. As those of us who were here last Sunday night for Cafe Church and exploring heaven and hell, you know, find out there's so many things we don't know as well as the things that we do know. And uh, it's great to explore some of these things. Not that we have all the answers, uh, but we learn to live in this room where there is doubt. Of course, though, Jesus says to him, stop doubting and believe. Well, the sense in which Thomas has no choice now, does he? Because Jesus is stood there. And uh, when Jesus is stood there, it would be silly then for Thomas to say, oh, I'm still not believing it, I'm still not having any of it. Uh, it's, it's probably that, that, uh, that cabbage I had last night repeating itself, and I'm just, it's just hallucinating, you know. Uh, it would be silly not to believe uh, when Jesus stood there. Uh, but the fact that Jesus meets him where he is and helps him with his doubts and his not being able to believe is an encouragement to us. And then Jesus gives him the commandment to stop doubting and to believe. And uh, I like the way that John Otterberg puts this in his book, Faith and Doubt. He says, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and worship. They doubt and serve. They doubt and help each other with their doubts. They doubt and practice faithfulness. They doubt and wait for their doubts to be turned to knowing. And that's how we live. That's how we engage with Jesus. That's the place that most of us find ourselves in quite often. We can worship with our doubts. We can serve God with our doubts. We don't have to have all the answers before we can say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Disciples are not people who never doubt. There's room for doubts. And it's amazing, isn't it, you know, to think that these disciples who followed Jesus, who experienced the miracles, you know, they were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. They were there when he gave sight to the blind. They saw all these wonderful things that most of us have never seen. And yet they struggled to believe. I myself find that an encouragement. I find that something that I can work with. That gives me hope. 
uh, in my struggles and my doubtings. Room for doubt. And then, of course, Thomas, the great thing is we, we, we see Thomas making that journey from doubt and unbelieving to believing and to worshipping God. And his response is to say, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God is Thomas's response. He worships Jesus. And this is significant, folks. This is really significant. Um, <clears throat> my Lord and my God. Because Thomas is the first person to actually identify Jesus in the Gospels as God. This is a deep theological statement that Thomas is making. A moment ago, he didn't even believe in Jesus, and now he's making one of the most deep theological statements that has been made about Jesus, the Son of God. In an instant. In a few seconds. This is what... Um, the Bishop of Durham uh, writes, he says this, he says, He is the first person in this book to look at Jesus of Nazareth and address the word God directly to him. Yet this is what John has been working round to from the beginning, you know, right at the beginning of the book of, of, of John in his gospel, when, uh, when he makes those wonderful statements. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's the opening statement in the gospel of John. John announces... Uh, this deep theological statement that Jesus was God. And right at the end of the Gospels, we found Thomas being able to make that exclamation for himself, that he has come to a place where he has discovered that he stood in the very presence of God himself. And yet a moment ago, he didn't believe that. How amazing is this God? How amazing no doubt about it. Well, there wasn't for Thomas. Because now he had seen. Now he believed. Now there was no doubt. He would never doubt. Well, I say he would never doubt again, but I wonder. Because I've had wonderful experiences of God. Uh, when God has been so real, that it's almost as if he's been stood in the room with me. I've had that experience where there's been absolutely no doubt about it. And yet I can switch. Back to those moments of doubt. But isn't this how we live? Isn't this how we breathe? Isn't this is what our faith is about? Those moments of believing and seeing, which are wonderful. Those mountaintop experiences when we just want to praise God and we want to stay there and worship. And then we come down from the mountain and we think, did that really happen? Was that real? No doubt about it. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And here, of course, you know, Jesus is saying, you, Thomas, have believed. You've seen and you've believed. But what a blessing for those people that can find faith without having your experience. And that's where you and I stand. Uh, we put a faith in a God and a Jesus that we can't see. Uh, you know, you could come after me, after me tomorrow, after me in the service, you could say, Richard, show me this Jesus, and I could tell you about my experiences, I could point to scriptures, but I couldn't say, well, look, there who he is, and show you him. Um, and that's why faith is needed. And Jesus says to people like us, how blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How blessed. In other words, there's a blessing that comes. When we come to that moment of belief. 
blessing that comes. No doubt about it. And then, of course, uh, John says these things are written that you may believe. John is writing his gospel in the hope that people will come to believe in Jesus Christ. And that in believing that you may have life in his name. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the gospel that we proclaim. It's the gospel that John wrote so that we could come to that place of belief. So let's continue that journey. Let's not get too worried when we have moments of doubt. Let's help people as they struggle to work out their faith. And let's encourage people so that we can be those blessed people who believe without seeing. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we have written down in scripture the record of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. We thank you that we have these stories of the early disciples and stories that are real. We know that they're real because they speak about uh, people letting Jesus down, people struggling, people struggling to believe. And we thank you that you met people in those positions. And we pray this morning that you might meet anyone here who has doubts, that you may come and stand beside them and you might reveal yourself to them. And Father God, we want to pray for this world that you created, that you came and lived and walked along. And we look around our world and we find it hard to believe that that so many people do struggle, that so many people live in poverty, that so many people uh, live in conditions that are terrible. And we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only preached, but it's worked out in people giving themselves to living and working to relieve poverty and to help people in their struggles. So we pray for all this morning who are suffering because of war, because of famine, because of natural disasters. We pray for people that are grieving. We pray for people within our own congregations that are struggling uh, with health issues. And we continue to pray for Debbie. And uh, we ask that you be close by her side. We pray for people who've been recently believed. We pray for people who are in hospital. And we ask that you meet them where they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.